Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, the Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, today is a special occasion. <laughs> special occasion for you and me. Do you have any idea why? We never have to do this again. <laughs> it's a special occasion because I went to the post office box and we have received the largest packages we've ever received (laughs) they actually had to go back into the storeroom to get them they wouldn't fit in our tiny box oh man i hope one of them is data's head (laughs) you want to do uh you want to do one last next gen mail call yeah let's do it captain i'm sorry to disturb you i'm receiving a code 47 verify it is code 47 sir start lead emergency frequency captain size only All right, well, we have our three packages. Two of them are from the same person, so I'm going to open up the one that's from the one person. Okay. This is coming from Pembroke Pines, Florida. Wow. And it is in a bubble envelope that says, please do not bend. And uh, my apologies to Pembroke Pines. Uh, This appears to have been bent. (laughs) Things have been bent, not necessarily by us. All right. It looks like it's bagged and boarded, but it's a, it's of a size that is not comic size. Oh, there's a letter. I'm going to do that first. Adam and Ben, I had hoped to get these to you sooner, but I reside on planet Scotland, a.k.a. <laughs> Florida, and recently attacked by Hurricane Irma. These oh, honorable mention certificates from the Albuquerque Podcast Festival are meant to let you know... With the completion of the Next Generation portion of this podcast, you can finally rest on the laurels that you so coveted. I also thought you might enjoy this preview issue of the Mirror Broken TNG comic series that is set in the Mirror Universe. Hey. This is uh, from our friend Perry in Florida. Let's see what we got. Oh, wow. And true to his word, we have Albuquerque Podcast Festival Honorable Mention Awards (laughs) to both you and me. (laughs) <laughs> these are these are like big laureled posters, Ben. Oh man! And they're even signed. They're signed by JL Pipes, Picosby, Batman, Big Rod, <laughs> Kevin Uxbridge, and uh, and a Klingon character written in Klingon. Oh man! And uh, and we each get one. That's real sweet. Nice, nice not to be in the pocket of Big Rod, but yet given an accolade by Big Rod. <laughs> And uh, there's also that first Mirror Broken comic. That's great. Thanks, Perry. Oh, you were you were looking for that recently. I on was. Our tour, on our tour, we went into a couple of comic book stores with uh, with you having a mind to try to get that first issue. I had some kind of mind on that tour. Yeah. All right. Well, two more packages. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to those, Ben. These remaining boxes are from one person, but they are very different. One is a poster tube and one is a box. So. Oh, okay. Uh, one of them is a toy box bin. <laughs> let's, let's see if I can glean anything from the letter. Adam and Ben, I hope you receive these packages without them getting lost. This box contains some of my favorite things from over the years. My favorite is the talking Riker in the fistful of Riker's bag. What? Why only Rikers? Well, why not? Some cards, some books, some awesome. 
The posters I've sent you have a bit of a story. The two copies of the Birdsong prints came into my possession by a former employee of the print house commission to do the run. They were assigned a numbered run, and the printer was to destroy all but the number requested. Someone working there obtained free copies of the overrun, and two ended up with me. Big Rod might not be happy with these unauthorized copies. Yes. So tell and or give out at your own risk. I just don't want to get anyone in trouble. These posters <laughs> are 100% legal. Love the pod. Have been a viewer for a while. Hoping you guys keep going. From Don. Man. Oh, boy, Ben. Uh, there is no joke. A bag full of Rikers here. <laughs> we have uh, Oh, well, we have a talking Riker. Shields up. <laughs> Red alert. Oh, wow. And there is a bag of Rikers. There's there's four Rikers in this bag, Ben. Four Rikers. You guys are as dumb as a bag of Rikers. We've told people over and over again, do, we love you, but please do not send us your old toys. <laughs> and at this moment, I regret ever saying that. Oh, wow. And we have Star Trek First Contact scented bubble bath. <laughs> and the package that it comes in is a Borgs. He's a Borg. Sort of a Borgs figurine filled with bubble bath. What is the smell? It isn't open. It's still in its original packaging, Ben. What does what does that movie f- smell like? <laughs> it probably smells like that plasma coolant tank they break at the end. Yeah, that, that stuff that vaporizes organic matter. Oh, no. That would be great if that's what it was. <laughs> if it was green, yeah. Wow. Assimilate that. Uh, oh, I've I've got to open the poster thing too. We have a very cool Star Trek poster. Uh, sort of a picture taken facing a space helmet, and in that space helmet's reflection is the flag on the moon, the Earth, and the uh, Enterprise A. <laughs> Zooming toward the camera. Oh, wow. A Star Trek Generations calendar poster, 1995, featuring uh, the floating heads of Kirk and Picard. Nice. Very cool. And finally, what we have here are prints of a really cool, arty poster of the entire crew and an artistic depiction of the entrepreneur and a bunch of cool planets. Uh, It is The Next Generation by Keith Birdsong. This is this is one of our illegal posters. Yeah. Very cool. Wow. Well, that was just a ton of gifts on the occasion of our final Next Generation episode, Ben. Yeah, Adam. We thought we would uh, we we would class this occasion up a little bit and uh, pop some bubbly to to celebrate this our final TNG episode. What do you say we pop into the bubs? Yeah, let's let's do that. I have not pre-unwrapped. Oh yeah, you my gotta shanks. get that little foil and. Whoa! Hey, what a nice sound and pop that was. Oh man, got a little bit of it on my hand, but uh, it's all good. Didn't <laughs> well, get, didn't... you can just you can just grab a Kleenex or a washcloth and and wipe that off, Ben. Yeah. Well, the. The, the the main thing was not getting it on the carpet because Adam, I am sitting in the remnants of an apartment at this point. Hey. My pop was a little less explosive. Worked for me. Cheers to um, you, buddy. Cheers. It's been it's been a great run, buddy. It sure has. 
Um, yeah, I my my whole life is in boxes right now because we got packed up this morning for our move cross country, and uh, all that remains is my podcasting station so that we could record <laughs> this episode. That's great. You also sound a little bit uh, throaty. Sounds like you've been fighting something. Yeah, I've been sick as a dog in bed for like three days. And That's uh, a good time to get sick, the the days when you're maybe needed most. Yeah, it kind of uh, perfectly parallels with the, the two days I was sick immediately preceding my wedding. Oh, yeah. This morning, my wife basically came in and like I was trying to kind of like take her easy on the bed. You know, not not exert myself, and uh, she basically was like, "You're not allowed to be sick anymore. <laughs> you need help." <laughs> not allowed. Sometimes having something that needs to to be done is what gets you out of the sick bed. Sure. I also thought to tell you that you were not allowed to be sick this week, Ben, because <laughs> we had very important pod work to do. We sure did. It feels strange. Like we've got our new show going now uh seems to be off to a pretty good start although we forgot to do drunk shimoda on the second episode which is like i'm pretty sure because i was coming down with this and not paying attention i think that mistake totally underscores the haste with which we recorded those episodes like yeah we recorded and released that show basically in a 24-hour period with the help of rob schulte and yeah. uh, it was a miracle it even happened. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll get better as we go forward, like all podcasts. One more miracle is the idea that we even got to this point, Ben. Yeah. The final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation for our particular podcast, and soon to be the beginning of another show hereafter, it's Season 7, Episode 25-26, slash all good things. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Worf and Troy are on a date. It seems like this is probably dinner, then a movie date. Not not movie, then dinner. If your date takes place on the holodeck, can't it be both? Can it? Does the I holodeck feel- make food you can eat and is food? I want to think so. Or is it just making holograms? Is it make? Does it have replicators in it? I wonder if holodeck technology is a weird way to have an eating disorder, like in the way, <laughs> in the way that there is the eating disorder where you eat and then make yourself throw up, like to trick your body mm-hmm. into the idea of it being full and yeah. having consumed calories. Like I wonder if there's a version of an eating disorder where you eat on the holodeck and then leave. Holorexia. Yeah. Yeah. That would be weird. Uh, Worf is looking gaunt. <laughs> <laughs> He's got bad body dysmorphia, and uh, I think it stems to his holorexia. <laughs> you can uh, tell what sort of dark episodes we would have written about this show. <laughs> <laughs> Worf's, a very special episode of Star Trek The Next Generation featuring Worf's eating disorder. So this date is uh, is kind of moving bedroom word <laughs> and uh they're about to do a a hallway smooch which is um you know like that's kind of the kiss on the kiss on the stoop before you discuss whether or not you're going to come upstairs for coffee right 
Sure. And also, if that stoop is in front of all of your coworkers and friends, like right. In order to kiss outside the quarters, like what you're really doing is making it public. And it's unclear at this point if it has been made public. Yeah. Well, they don't get quite as far as as tonsil hockey because uh, Captain Picard, Bedeep Veed, comes rushing over to them asking, what's the date? Lofus interrupt us. <laughs> this is a really long robe ben this is like a duster length robe i recently rewatched uh the batman movie with george clooney <laughs> oh no there's no reason to watch a schumacher ben i know i know it's it's a really remarkable movie because that basically has no sense of when somebody shouldn't be doing an action movie quotable like <laughs> almost every single line is an action movie quotable yeah it's 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 amazing there's a scene in that movie where uh, Schwarzenegger, as as uh, Mister Freeze, is using his freeze freeze suit to blow a hole in a wall by freezing the water in some pipes, and he does an action movie quotable of "Always winterize your pipes." It's like that's the stupidest fucking thing that has ever been typed into a typewriter. Like, who's he even talking to? <laughs> it's such an eye roll from everyone else in that room. Yeah, so uh, so Picard explains to Troy and Worf that he's like slipping around in time, and we go to a scene where Picard is is like in therapy with Troy. I guess this is Captain's quarters, right? She doesn't walk him back to his quarters, but their quarters are very close to one another. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Well, anyways. He's saying that he's slipping into the past and into the future, and he's doing that thing where he's kind of trying to describe a dream, but it's slipping through his fingers as he describes it. No, no, it, it was much more than a dream. It's an interesting status flip, because usually when Troy is helping Picard with an emotional thing, he's still the captain, and she's still kind of lower status as a character sure this this is like her she's really the the high status character in this scene he's he's very out of sorts and and uh and frantic he needs her medically in a way that that previously he he mostly needs her professionally yeah and you know in the way that characters on this show frequently treat each other Instead of treating him with some amount of self-defense or fear, they are totally taking his word at face value. Yeah, earned credibility on this this topic, I guess. Sure, because on its own, the captain of the flagship displaying flagging mental faculties uh, would be cause for alarm. But there is no alarm at this point, and I think that's important tonally. Yeah. Well, it is in this scene that we do our first cut to the future, and it's elderly Picard with a beard and a straw hat doing uh, some vineyard work. He's back in... uh, He's back in the crying fields. (laughs) Back in the mud fight fields. Yeah, Jordy has shown up. Hello, Captain. At the vineyard. They almost immediately start doing exposition on each other. 
And yeah. one of the ways that happens is Picard asking Jordy how his wife and kids are. And it's clear at this point that Jordy has married Leah Brahms. Probably the most troubling romantic pairing this show could have gone for. <laughs> for Jordy to end up with her after what he did only serves to encourage people like that asshole playing the piano in the park every day to get his girlfriend back. Like, <laughs> it's not right and it's not cool. She, yeah. she has no reason to be with him. I don't think there's any coming back from that, Jordy. I don't think I get used to that. <laughs> it seems like the reason Jordy is there is to say goodbye to Picard. Jordy's heard that that old man Picard is sick. He's sick with a syndrome that's going to deprive him of his mental faculties. And there's like there's a sadness throughout their interaction that I think feels familiar to a lot of people with. Uh, older folks in their family who are who are declining like that feeling of like seeing someone one last time before it's uh, before it all goes away is one of several parts in this episode where i think the show is talking about itself oh yeah you know we're not going to come from rigel three for any old reason adam yeah you just love the taste of that picard wine maybe that's the reason yeah, Jordy's like, oh shit, taste, that, Jordy. the hookup's about to go away. I better get my ass back there. <laughs> Before he forgets to mail me cases every month. Uh, what kind of champagne are you drinking there, buddy? Uh, I got something special for the occasion, Ben. I got a bottle of Vouve. Mm, I am drinking a shameful Moet Mini. <laughs> Well, I am obligated to drink this entire bottle by myself, so... Oh, no. Things could get pretty weird later on. They go from this to Picard in the past, like on the shuttle on his way to the Entrepreneur for the first time with Tasha Yar. And then they're on their way to the first day on the Enterprise D. Yeah, and uh, Picard does not really divulge in the two, in the like future timeline and the past timeline to people what's going on and this is tasha yar like first time meeting him mode yeah uh, he's he's acting very weirded out by the disconcerting time displacement situation but she's interpreting it as like did i fuck up already no it's just that you look very familiar this episode handles time travel really well because there has been such a change in uniforms throughout the years and an incoming and outgoing of cast members that it makes it easy. There's a shorthand here visually for knowing in what time period you're in that I think a lot of shows would have a harder time with. Right. They do the really easy things, but they also do the subtle things, you know, like the bridge looks the way it did in episode one and... My favorite change seeing the past bridge is how much further reclined Khan and Ops are yeah. up front. Like, holy shit, they are reclined all the way back in those early seasons compared to the later ones. That's so funny. Yeah, that change must have happened really subtly because I don't really remember when it changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's also fun so to see laid back. Data at the other side of the bridge, which like totally yeah. happened in the first season and was like never really explained. Yeah. Was Ops just over there sometimes? Like, can those be reconfigured to... I mean, I imagine they're just kind of general use screens that you can set up to, to be whatever you need them to be, right? That wood panel basement look in those early seasons too, man. 
What a what a callback. Yeah, it's cool that they had the uh the stained glass beer logo light over the <laughs> pool table, you know. Yeah. They also uh they they mess with the lights here too and I, by that I don't mean the lights on the bridge while the ship is operating. I mean the studio lights that they use to light the people. Like yeah. it also looks like it's changing throughout the different time periods. Totally. What has been established is these three time periods, the Farpoint mission era, the like present day from our our perspective watching the show, and then 25 years in the future when everybody's kind of like grown apart and gone their different directions. And so those time periods kind of continue uh, in parallel and, and our way of jumping between them is when Picard's consciousness jumps between them. But it's not like he's not in the different time periods, right? Like every time he jumps from one to another, Dr. Crusher will be like, oh, like you got the memories of like 13 minutes, but you were just here for 30 seconds. Yeah, in the beginning, it's really hard for them medically to tell if what he's describing is the truth. It takes a little bit of time to get to that point because they keep doing scan after scan on him, and it takes him doing a jump in front of Beverly for her to get that on the tricorder. My theory about why this was so hard, I don't know if you noticed this, Adam, but uh, in this scene, Beverly is holding an iPad, and it's totally bent. (laughs) Like what the big iPhone was supposed to do in our back pockets? Yeah, it's like it's seriously warped out of control. And uh, I, it was like all I could focus on in the scene. I was like, I was like, I know that this is the last episode, guys, but that prop is really fucked up. There are on-screen props and then there are off-screen props or like deep background props. And this seems right. like it was a background prop that was field promoted to on-screen when maybe it shouldn't have been. Yeah, like Ogawa is like is like walking up with it and it's like, no, just stay in the background with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> she passes it to Crusher, it's like fuck, fuck. <laughs> now I got this thing in my hands. What am I gonna uh. do with it? <laughs> While we're talking about Crusher, uh, another piece of continuity we should talk about is her eye makeup. In that she is bandit eyeshadow levels of of darkness around her eyes in the present time period. Where's my bandit hat? And I thought a lot about why that would be, because I can't remember wearing that her wearing that much eye makeup before. But I think it's because in, in the future timeline, she's wearing very little eye makeup. And, huh. I mean, that obviously makes her look older in, an, in a way that's effective for the storytelling. Yeah, it didn't register for me, but uh, now I'm, I'm, like, scrubbing through and I'm seeing it. So, nice nice catch, buddy. This is what we do. This is what we do. It's 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 the Star Trek hair and makeup cast. <laughs> no thing about the way Troy or Crusher will go unscrutinized by us. <laughs> it's a fairly emotionally weighty scene when Picard relives that first day on the D. It is an emotionally weighty scene because he's come back from the future with this kind of like half remembered dream knowledge that he has this neurological disorder and he's gotten Crusher to like, you know, open up the hood and do a a neural scan that would never normally be done and she has found the like anomaly in his frontal lobe that will ultimately become this disorder. 
Do you think this is Borgs related? Oh, like when they pulled something out, it like it like caught on something. There's no way his brains weren't damaged either from the implants or the re- or their removal, right? I mean, I I don't know enough about Borg <laughs> physiology, Adam, to make a determination like that. But uh, <laughs> what is really intense is Doctor Crusher's like complete abandonment of bedside, like. The captain winds up kind of bedside mannering the doctor about this. Yeah. He's like, I prefer to look on the future as something which is not written in stone. There's like the bravery of a, of a patient that he displays here. A bit of a conveniently vague syndrome. It's like in the film Batman and Robin, Adam. <laughs> I was hoping we would talk more about this movie. <laughs> Mr. Freeze's wife suffers from McGregor syndrome, and of course, Alfred has just come down with a bad case of McGregor syndrome, which sets up a, a dramatic payoff in the end when they can kind of turn Freeze to the good side and and therefore save the life of Alfred. <laughs> but it's never really discussed what McGregor sy- syndrome is, and the only the like extent to which it's depicted is just Alfred wincing in pain every so often. I don't want to bury you, Batman. I will not. The neurological disorder, I don't even remember what it's called, that Picard has in this episode is... Irumatic syndrome. Irumatic syndrome. It's not dementia. Like, he's not losing his marbles. It has no symptoms, as far as we know. Ben, if the Schumacher Batman films were canonical next-generation films... They would still be the second best Star Trek The Next Generation films. <laughs> Isn't that fucked up? Man. That is messed up. You know, like, I was thinking about it when I was watching it, and... You did something most people didn't by doing that, by the way. <laughs> I know that, like, the studio is trying to kind of continue the Tim Burton, nouveau German expressionism <laughs> of of the first two Batman films. But what it really plays like is more like the 1960s Batman TV show in those Schumacher movies, which is kind of awesome in its own way. Like, it's unintentional, but it's awesome. I don't remember that many nipple suits being in the classic Batman and Robin television series. I think, uh, didn't Adam West, you know, like just a little, like a subtle line on his spandex suit to to indicate a nip? The past wasn't as nippular. (laughs) so we continue in this time period and picard gets a an important FaceTime from the admiralty so important that he takes the call in the doctor's office doesn't even leave six bay doesn't get out of his deep v and it's uh admiral nakamura telling him that there is a pretty bad situation a bruin in the neutral zone nakamura tells Picard that it appears that at least 30 warbirds have been pulled from other assignments and are headed for the neutral zone and Nakamura in all his intelligence says I am deploying 15 starships along our side of the neutral zone what the fuck Nakamura this is an insane plan brimming with the kind of confidence that you shouldn't have (laughs) Picard even though he's rocking a deep V robe should have been like I've I've done the math on this (laughs) <laughs> it appears we'll be outgunned two to one. Like <laughs> now, Admiral, I'm not a mathematician. 
Do you think if Necheyev had this plan, Picard would have pushed back? No, because Necheyev would have been say, like, I've sent 100 ships. Yeah, look, if we're ranking admirals, it's Necheyev and then Nakamura. Nakamura is like, like in 20th place in all the admirals we've seen based purely on his insane plan here. Yeah, bad plan, Nakamura. Also, if you know for a fact that the Romulans are sending 30 warbirds, you know there's an extra 60 of them that are cloaked, right? Like, (laughs) there's no way that there's just 30. It's crazy. Yeah, so there's this this temporal anomaly in the Devrin system. Everybody wants to get in on the action, and uh, the Admiral is sending... Sending Starfleet out to the edge of the neutral zone just to keep an eye on the situation, make sure the Romulans don't do anything that would violate the treaty or whatever. Right, because at this point, this is not an existential threat right now. It's just a a curiosity. You see, Rudy, if this threatened the household or... In the case of this metaphor, the Federation, (laughs) we would take much greater precautions, but as the planet is not inside the house, but is in the neutral zone, Theo, (laughs) we'll just keep an eye on the matter. I'm your father. A uh, a very cautious Picasby there, typically typically not his way. I've been sick. My throat is fucked up. I can't get that out of control with Picasby today, Adam. Way to, you know what? Way to come off the bench. This is your Michael Jordan flu game, Ben. S- so, sometimes sometimes Picasby is just about good fatherly advice. <laughs> sometimes you only find out. Many years later, how unfatherly that advice was. <laughs> so, in the future timeline, uh, Jordy and Picard have gone to see Data, who is at Oxford University. Data, who has a silver streak in his hair, a velvet jacket, and is surrounded by like 15 cats in his office is enjoying the company of his old comrades and sort of like trying to grok what it is Picard is saying. Ben, this office must smell like hell. <laughs> like, like there is no future technology I can think of that would make an office filled with 15 cats smell anything less than, than cat box, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of absorbent surfaces in this <laughs> office. And, uh, you know, the like lower class helper lady that data has like hobbling around serving everybody tea is definitely not the type to like call anybody's attention to a smell she can be frightfully trying at times but she does make me laugh he treats her so flippantly and she treats him so subserviently i sort of thought that she might be a hologram oh that's interesting like, cause what purpose would there be for an older lady to to be like the tea serving person? She should be an ensign on a galaxy class starship. We know that that's that's a career track that exists. Right. This this is this takes place in a utopian future, like the future of the utopian future. At that, sure. Why this life of subs- of subservience for this poor woman? I don't know. And she's really taking a lot of guff from Data. 
Yeah. He treats her like Trump treats the Secret Service. <laughs> I doubt this old lady would take a bullet for him, though. <laughs> well, he's bulletproof in this timeline, Adam. Right. Uh, yeah, I think Spiner makes a really strong set of choices with how he plays Data. Like, his character is maybe the most different across the three time periods. Yeah. And, uh, like, he's very, like, loose and casual and emotional in this scene. He's very, it's like a very natural portrayal of a character. Yeah, like, the best actors on Star Trek play in the margins a lot, and... And Spiner's getting the opportunity to do things like use contractions and smile and just facially emote a little more than he ever has as data. But he's not he's not a 10 out of 10. Like, he's not song and dance man Brent Spiner as lore, for example. Like, he hasn't got right. full lore, and I think that's important. And it's so cool, too, because he... I like, like, we see this before we see his episode one era data and... His episode one era data is like a dead ringer for his episode one data. So it also brings into relief how much he has changed over the seven years, which is a pretty amazing feat. Like, uh, like as an actor, like he really, he really changed without us noticing any like dramatic differences from episode to episode, season to season. That point is great, but I do want to remind you of mudflap hair that Data had in like the first <laughs> season and a half. I was really missing the the sort of uh, yeah. What do you, there's bad mudflap continuity, and there's also bad loaf continuity on Worf. Yeah, yeah. Worf's Worf's loaf uh, is is fully season seven version. Did they throw out the old loaf and the old Data Data wig? Maybe they're on the trash heap of history, my friend. In the past timeline, Picard is trying to use what he's gleaned in the present and future timeline as 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 instruments in his decision making. But what isn't working in his favor is that he he keeps delegating incorrectly. Like he's he's delegating security shit to Worf. With all due respect, sir, I'm the security chief on the ship. He's calling O'Brien Chief. Chief O'Brien. And everyone around him is sort of looking at each other like, what the fuck? Which I think is really fun, right? Like, like Picard is not acting crazy, he's just acting wrong, which is its own brand of crazy. Yeah, and, like, I mean, he is having delusions. Like, in all of the timelines, I think at this point, he's seen the, like, ruffians from the film Strange Days yelling and laughing at him. Right, um, but it's definitely like the crew of the season one Enterprise that gets the the hardest job because he basically like puts the ship on red alert the second he walks aboard and you know holds a McLaughlin group issue one demanding for them all to like tell him what the fuck is going on and none of them know what he's talking about and they get orders from Starfleet to go to the Deverin system. Uh, in lieu of their initial orders. And he's like, fuck that. We're going to Farpoint. We're doing Farpoint. This indicates that he's going to go find Q. Like, he has not said it, but he knows Q is involved. And the Farpoint station mission is the way to make contact with him. Yeah. Which is... 
like if you're thinking about his character is a really smart move like there are very few omnipotent characters in this universe q is one of them i mean i suppose they could go to planet kevin captain picard (laughs) i've been waiting for you in any time period every great amount of respect for you captain picard and though this has not come to pass yet I will come to owe you one because you choose not to prosecute me for my horrible crime. I want you to know, Osho, that I'm rooting for the success of your mission because if this temporal... If this temporal... That's hard to say in Kevin voice. If this temporal anomaly continues to grow, it will swell up my planet and my dearest son. If humanity is not allowed to arise on planet Earth, then Rashan will never be born and never die but perhaps worse there will never be a market for my rubber doll business (laughs) one great thing about this subspace time anomaly is that it will also kill the (laughs) hooshnock wiping the slate clean for me morally (laughs) if I'm just doing the math on this I might be okay (laughs) with just letting that thing play out You know, I, I put the Hushnak in one hand and Rashan ever existing in the other. And it's just kind of even money at this point. Yeah, so uh, given his choices, Picard goes and seeks out Q. That's the smartest thing you could possibly do. There is a moment about halfway through this episode where, in the present timeline, Picard and Beverly are in his ready room, and Beverly has disclosed to him that, yeah, like, uh, his fears about declining mental faculties in the future are founded, and, I mean, there is there is a chance that something bad could happen, and she kisses him, and... In doing that, Beverly looks at Picard like I think we all do at this moment, like pre-grieving the eventual loss of a great character. And I found this scene totally powerful. It's a kiss goodbye in a lot of ways. This was the second part in the episode where I felt like the show was talking about itself. Right after this kiss... Old Picard wakes up in the future timeline with what I have to believe is a total sundial in his pants. <laughs> I should have gone for a boob data. <laughs> she probably would have let me touch a boob. <laughs> like, you can tell he's sort of favoring that side. He hasn't rolled over all the way to reveal the sundial. <laughs> yeah. I love that, like, old man taking a nap thing. Like, oh, yeah, you can kind of get away with sleeping anywhere. And more to the point, you can kind of get away with a boner anywhere. Right. <laughs> oh, gramps. Old people can do anything. <laughs> I can't wait to be an old, Ben. Mm. We've uh, we've slagged on the olds on the show quite a bit. But uh, truth be it's, told, it's because of jealousy. Yeah. I think we're already great old men. We do have that way about us, don't we? 
Well, it is in this boner scene that he hatches the plan for them to meet up with Beverly, uh, which is he wants to go to the neutral zone. And, uh, you know, Riker, Admiral Riker is pretty quick to to tell him to uh, take his trip to the neutral zone and shove it. I love that future Riker looks like Orson Welles. (laughs) (laughs) He's like jowly and and angry. H has not been kind to him. Uh, Admiral Riker has like a lot of color still in his beard and like silver fox hair. But in uh, in our timeline, Frakes has gone Grecian formula hair, white beard. It's instructive to see that real Riker looks a lot better than than fictional future Riker, and yeah. real Riker is older than future Riker. Yeah, Frakes right has now. been taking better care of himself. He looks great. We should yeah. be so lucky. We should. Yeah, so like the future timeline is kind of all about how Picard has a bunch of relationships from the past that conveniently allow him to get to where he wants to go, because... Uh, the doctor has become captain of a medical ship, which is allowed to go into what was once the neutral zone and is now Klingon-controlled space because the Klingons have have conquered the Romulan Empire. And uh, Worf is now like a regional governor in the Klingon Empire and uh, a former council member. So he has like a lot of political power. It would have been interesting to know more about what happened to precipitate this? Like, the idea of the Klingons winning a war for territory against the Romulans seems fairly far-fetched in in 24th century Federation canon, you know? Like, they're right. still reeling, their houses are in disarray, like, Gowron is... Gowron has not displayed the acumen that makes me think that he could lead any <laughs> sort of protracted war with anyone else well a lot can change in 25 years you know yeah uh sort of a lot has i like the uh i like the 25 years in the future uniforms a lot me too so past picard arrives at farpoint station and q isn't there and this really pisses off picard because he's doing that thing where he's like screaming to the sky on the bridge q we're here this has gone on long enough. The rest of the crew's looking at him like, uh, oh boy, this is, we've got a crazy captain on our hands. Maybe we should turn back and uh, trade him in for a new one. Picard finally like stomps off into the ready room where he actually finds Q. Q reveals himself to him after he goes off alone. Yep. And it is the Hall of Judgment from season one, episode one. This scene underscores something that begins halfway through the episode and then carries all the way through the end, which is like the idea that Q observes a sort of personal prime directive in that he interferes to the point that he helps people help themselves without interfering to the point where he's giving them the answer. And to me, that is far more constructive of a way to go than the actual prime directive. It's letting the, it's letting you know that there is an outcome without letting you like you know, take the test with the with the textbook. Q's like, I'll give you ten yes or no questions. Shoot. And Picard's like, well, this this anomaly seems involved. Is it? He's like, yeah. 
is this the Romulans' fault? Is it their way of, of getting one over on the Federation? And he's like, nope and nope. And they finally get to the point where Q tells Picard that this is all his fault somehow. And what will result is the end of humanity. Picard will destroy humanity. Which would be the second time that the destruction of humanity could potentially be Picard's fault. <laughs> Lest anyone forget, Picard was a Borg. Picard's a Borg! Yeah. Also kind of Q's fault. Sure. So... Q does a thing in this scene that I also want to talk about, which is he accuses Picard of squandering the efforts of humanity. The trial continues. That's the big reveal, that it never ended. And in the third way that I think the show is talking about itself, I sort of thought that Q represented television culture in that his accusations seem like those of someone who would critique the show. You had all this potential. You had the foundation of a great science fiction television series. Was your effort successful for these seven years, or did you squander that? That's what this scene made me think. I don't know if I would put that much sophistication on the script. <laughs> sure. I mean, I like I like your read, but I don't I don't know if it's intentional. Like, it may be there unintentionally, but... I guess that's impossible to speculate about. I'm really going for Alan Sepinwall's job in, in this final episode. That's what I'm doing. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. All right, so we are into episode two of All Good Things here. And uh, it sort of starts with this McLaughlin group. Issue one. In, for our purposes, present day. And Adam, that fucking bent iPad is on the goddamn table in front of Picard. <laughs> Just rolling around on the table. How the fuck did that get into two different scenes? I mean, I can only guess that people's attentions were divided uh, because Berman and Braga wrote this episode at the same time they were writing Generations, and they were actually in production on Generations at the same time that they were filming this finale. Did you know that? Whoa. I cannot believe that there was that kind of crossover. That's crazy. Yeah. And they were booting up Voyager at this time, too. Yeah. So sort of a lot going on. Not that it forgives uh, a prop that shouldn't be on camera, but like sort of a lot was happening. I read somewhere that during this, like there was a pretty legendary fight between uh, Peace Stew and the camera crew on this episode because he was like completely exhausted from having directed the second to last episode and like in this you know in like every scene of this episode basically I like to believe that those fights occurred while he was wearing that open robe yeah how'd you like that guy screaming at you dick flops out (laughs) (laughs) that's a power move yeah and so uh, the Enterprise D of present day and the Enterprise D of season one, episode one, uh, and the Pasteur under the command of Captain Beverly Picard uh, all kind of converge on the Deverin system. And what they find there is that the anomaly in question is three different sizes. In the In the past, it is really big. In the present, it is pretty big, and in the future, they cannot even detect it. It is so small. It being larger in the past is really every man's truth, isn't it? Oh, man. 
Well, I guess uh, I guess we all age differently, Adam. <laughs> this is a very confessional greatest generation. <laughs> it must be because I'm three quarters of the way through this vuv, and yeah. I'm feeling great. Adam, did you notice that uh, in the Pasteur USS Pasteur future, every everybody civilian is sort of wearing clothing that looks like it could be the upholstery job in a conversion van. I did notice that. I also noticed that everyone had calzone hair. Calzone yeah. hair being the uniform code for Star Trek hair in the future. Yeah, the the uh, that's called the Brahms rule. Yeah, <laughs> just give me the Brahms. <laughs> I think that there's like a lot of like plotty detail here, but basically they all like kind of push through whatever little hurdles are put in their way and start to tachyon beam this anomaly, which uh, leads to Q taking Picard to the protolithic Earth. France, about oh, three and a half billion years ago, give or take an eon or two. And Picard looks up and sees the anomaly, and it is enormous. It is filling up the entire sky, and Q is like, yeah, back in this time period, it fills up the entire quadrant. And Picard is like, oh, I get it. It gets bigger the further back in the past you go. Congratulations. If you're a character that rolls his eyes a lot, like this is, this is like a softball into Q right now that he just smashes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, he, when the viewer is impatient with Picard, just like Q is, like, that's, you're putting Q on the viewer's side. So what Q is saying is that this is when life arose on Earth. This is when amino acids combined to form a protein. This is it. And uh, he says that this anomaly has caused it not to happen. Picard is getting a lot better at, like, traveling between timelines at this point. Like, every time, like, super future data comes up with something, he'll, like, take that information and give it to past data or present data and put it into action. And that's how they come to all be pointing tachyon beams at this thing. And uh, meanwhile, like, you know, a lot of shit is popping off in, in each timeline. Like, in the future one, they're getting attacked by Klingons and the Pasteur is badly damaged and Riker on the tricked out Enterprise D with three warp nacelles comes to the rescue. You're going to need an extra two Starfleet personnel for that extra nacelle, Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to staff that thing up. Yeah. We're getting a third Siberia. You're getting a third softball team is what you're getting. <laughs> And so we've got three Ds pointing three tachyon beams at this thing. And I think Picard is basically going through this whole episode wishing to fuck that Guinan was around to just explain everything to him. Oof. No kidding. Here's the thing. If you introduce Whoopi into this show, you counterpoint Q in a way that uh, that might reveal the mystery too much, right? Like I guess part so. of Part of the effectiveness of, the, of this episode is is keeping the viewer in the dark. But we would have had one last opportunity for her to do that karate stance where she like goes like crouching tiger style on cue. I do like that karate stance. After the future D does some uh, right angle space combat to the Klingons and, uh, and they get all these tachyon beams firing, it becomes clear to Picard that uh, like, you know, through seeing what's happening in the past that it's a it's a paradox like the the tachyon beams that they're shooting are 
creating the anomaly and uh you know if they if they hadn't been shooting these tachyon beams to to get a load of what was causing the anomaly nothing would have caused the anomaly to begin with adam this is information that's disclosed in future 10 forward as data future riker future Jordy and Beverly are gathered to sort of share with each other the concerns that they have about diminished Picard and how none of them really believes his deal. The doors to 10 forward fling open and Picard has awoken from his slumber. I know what's causing the anomaly. We have to go back. And postulates this to Data. We caused the anomaly with the tachyon pulse. Data's the one who gets it. And I think when you're going crazy, you need a Data, right? Right. Someone who believes you in spite of how crazy it is. Right. Somebody who can look at the information on its face and not the crazy person ranting it at you. Damn it, I'm not stupid. One of the things they also talk about at this table is how uh, Riker and Worf are estranged. Estranged because, I guess in this time period, Worf dishonorably dated Deanna. Deanna then died, and then at their funeral... Worf and Riker had some sort of falling out that has caused them to have a rift in their relationship for the 20 years that followed. And Beverly is like, look, man, it's time to put that water under the bridge. You guys are buds from back in the day. You used to be best friends. You used to go around saying that all the time. You used to be high five buddies. And now look at you. Now Worf's sitting at the bar alone. (laughs) Riker's with the gang. This is a real sad scene. Yeah. And I mean, like, Kind of makes it seem like because Riker is with the gang, Worf can't be, which is real a real dick move on Riker's part, you know? This is the fourth time in the episode where Riker almost turns to camera and he's like, you think you have all the time in the world? <laughs> he's talking about Deanna, but when I watch this finale, I'm thinking about the show. Like, you think you're going to do uh, this fun Star Trek podcast forever. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you end the show it's about. It's too bad. It's it's truly sad. Well, one thing that's different about our show than television is that, like, from what I've heard and, and read, like, when you get a television show past the pilot stage and you go to series, like, that first season is make or break, but then your second season is also make or break, and you're in that mindset, like, the entire time, so you never stop and think, like, hey, like, <laughs> we've been doing this for... Five or six seasons now. This is great. You know, yeah. like, like you can never really be comfortable that it's going to keep going. And uh, that's, I mean, like I, I have really enjoyed doing this project with you because I feel like we could kind of get a load of the arc of it as we were doing it. Like a bunch of times we've been able to get together and be like, can you fucking believe this? Yeah, I think what's great about our show, Ben, is that it'll be in syndication forever. Yep. (laughs) Great success. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. The Picard has to convince his three crews to cut it out with the tachyon beam, but not just that, go in and start a static warp bubble within the anomaly, which will... Uh, presumably seal it shut and like super future data is is on board with this immediately because it's his idea but then picard has to convince the other datas of it and the hardest 
the hardest uh, pill to swallow is for the, you know, early episode one crew who are like, hey, man, like, <laughs> none of us know you. And like, sure enough, there's a fucking anomaly here, despite the fact that like, you don't seem to be entirely in control of your faculties. You like found the anomaly that you've been ranting at us about. But now you're asking us to go in and like, use our use our ship to plug the hole. That seems crazy, man. And he's like, listen, guys. I know it is difficult for you to understand that we have to take the ship into the very center of the phenomenon. This is how we save humanity. I've told you before how I don't believe Picard is the best captain in Star Trek, if you were to make that list. But this is a scene that makes the case that he might be. Like, he has to marshal his crew into the idea that the suicide mission is something that makes sense. I know you have your doubts about me. About each other. About the ship. He knows the future in this scene. None of them do. You and I do, Ben, watching the show. We know how great everyone's going to become. But no one there believes that yet, and Picard has to tell them. Although we have only been together for a short time, I know that you are the finest crew in the fleet. And I would trust each of you with my life. It was amazing to watch him tell everyone that we've loved over the last seven years how great that they would be. And that, to me, is what makes this scene so great. Now, everybody knows that Captain Janeway makes the best grand eloquent speeches. But what this scene presupposes <laughs> is maybe Captain Picard does? <laughs> Box checked. <laughs> So all three ships from all three time periods have to go into this thing and make this warp bubble. And it is fraught throughout. It is a rocky ride into the center. And uh, we watch all three of them go, like, in in order from furthest in the past to the future. The the warp cores go go critical. They, like, do their best to hang on for as long as possible. Q is there on the bridge taunting... Picard the entire time. Goodbye, Jean-Luc. I'm going to miss you. You had such potential. And finally, Future D goes, and we smash cut to, like, white light on on an overtop shot of Picard. And uh, he's doing, like, a classic Picard palm face sulk. And, uh, <laughs> and there's Q, Judge Q. And Q has taken on, like, a very different tone all of a sudden. He's like, hey, like, I knew you could do it the whole time. Because the destruction of these three ships has caused the anomaly to fold in on itself. Like, the mission was a success at the expense of all three ships. Right, but also, like, because it's a time paradox, not at the expense of any of the ships. Did that cause you not to feel anything when those ships were destroyed? (sighs) Yeah, you know, I honestly, like... I think that this is a thing that Brandon Braga is responsible for in Star Trek, which I only associate with the fact that he wrote like most of the episodes that do this, but the like bullshit timeline scenarios that plague Star Trek from the time that he sort of started being an influential figure on the show uh, to like the end of the Voyager run, I guess. Um, really bother me and it bothers me that like like I like a time travel story don't get me wrong but 
the, the like ones that kind of like set up their own convenient paradox to be a deus ex machina like really bug the shit out of me and this is maybe one of the most egregious offenders of that now when you're setting up a time space paradox <laughs> you're gonna want to make sure that all your threads of your story line up that way your viewer won't poke holes in all the continuity errors it does take some of the emotion out of that out of that sequence and I don't know how you like end a series with the ship actually blowing up containment field is critical I'm losing it <laughs> that would feel really brutal and, and mean to the viewer. I thought maybe it would have been felt more if they went in reverse because the past version of the ship was the ship and the crew that Picard had to work the hardest to convince. Right. And if they fell in order of future to past, and if finally in the past ship, everyone starts to express the doubts that they had sort of bottled up until then, like if yeah. Yar had had yelled at Picard, "What are we doing here?" before it explodes, I think the emotion of that scene is completely heightened in a way that is credible, yeah, and would and would really and would really work effectively. It still, as it played out, worked effectively for me. But I wonder if changing the order would have made it even more. At the end of the day, I can't escape the like. There's a line where Q says, "Like the moment you showed that." humanity has any potential was when you figured out the time paradox right and it's like man like you can't do that as a writer you know like oh when you figured out my bullshit fucking writing mechanism to like make it, there be a dramatic structure here that's when you were the best as a character great it's like really patting yourself on the back from the script Whoever wrote this story, if there is a creator of this universe, must have been a genius. <laughs> yeah. To a strange degree, cause and effect was a more difficult puzzle to solve than this one. Yeah, Like absolutely. for the crew. Right. Q does that cute thing where he's like, I could tell you the secrets of the universe, man, and uh, maybe I'll pantomime like I'm about to. And he does that lean into his ear and then backs away. And that's it for Q. See you out there. And it's almost it for this episode, except for a scene at the end with the senior staff assembled for a poker game, Ben. A poker game that uh, is without Deanna Troy and Captain Picard, but they walk in in sequence and... Picard has never attended one of these poker games before, and so when he walks through those doors, everyone sort of, sort of stiffens up. Is there a problem, sir? Yeah, like Captain on deck, kind of little like, oh, fuck, like, <laughs> what's going on? Picard, just before this, records a captain's log without giving it the super secret log lockout that he mentioned before in the episode about, like... <laughs> Uh, it appears that no one else in the crew has experienced the crazy time travel thing that I was just going through. Yeah. Uh, before this scene, I thought that was fun that this didn't that that log didn't deserve the double secret lockout that the earlier earlier one did. I would love to be a fly on the wall at the like admiral's briefing, newly 
newly commissioned captains on how captain's logs work. And yeah. like, yes, even if you have no evidence for an experience you have, you're going to be encountering shit out there that you won't be able to establish evidence for. We need it in log form. Two kinds of captain's <laughs> logs you should log out completely with that sort of double secret password. Uh, one of them is the I hate Klingons and I always have style captain's log. <laughs> That's the one you should you should use double secret passwords. And the other one is I've been traveling through time and I appear to be the only one who is noticed. <laughs> it's not something that's wrong with me. It's something that's wrong with the universe. <laughs> so Picard, newly well, joins the poker game, is invited into the poker game for the very first time. He's given the deck... And he gets that moment in the show that the series has teased all along, but never has, which is the intimacy of a leader and the lead. You know, everyone yeah. at this table loves him, and they have from the start. But until this moment, it has never fully been expressed. I should have done this a long time ago. You are always welcome. Because the captain has always been above the social fray. The captain doesn't join the poker game. But when he sits down and plays with them, it shows that he's turned the corner and he and he wants a relationship with them that is deeper than just a uh, beloved captain. And this scene never fails to, in as many times as I've seen it, totally Dawson Leary me at the dock. Like, I'm a total puddle Every time I see this scene, it is utterly effective to me. Did you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, it's the part, the thing that has gotten so right in this episode is yeah. the is celebrating these relationships and these, these characters and these storylines that we've loved for seven years. It, it knows exactly how much schmaltz to put on these moments without making them overbearing and without, you know, under-celebrating at the same time. That's exactly you know, it. really threads that needle. The choice to end the episode and the series here, I think, is so critical in its quality. This is the moment that makes this finale great. It's the, it's the moment that makes the series greater than it could have been without it. It's the perfect bookend, I think. Really spectacular. Did you like the episode, Adam? I really did, and you and I both know that there are there are some mistakes here. As with any time travel story, there are holes to poke. Holes like future Picard choosing to inform present Picard of the future, <laughs> but then choosing to not inform past Picard for reasons of paradox. Like right. he he declines to go two steps into the paradox for reasons, I guess. It was Beverly's ship, the Pasteur, that fires the tachyon pulse. It wasn't, it wasn't future Enterprise that did that. There were a lot of like little, little weird threads that didn't quite add up. But if you're able to look past some of that stuff, I think it adds up into a mountain-worthy episode here. What about you, Ben? You know, I my feelings are too mixed to put it on the mountain. Um, I think that in so many ways it's the perfect send-off for this cast and crew and this ship and this series. And and maybe some of that perfection is in where it fucks up. Like, 
It is like a classic, a classically dumb time travel story. Sure. Like, like, like classic bad Trek and classic good Trek all all wrapped up in one double episode. It's like, it really contains multitudes, this episode. It's really a miracle like that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. one more really dumb choice or one terrible line of dialogue, I think, could tear the whole thing down. It's that close. Yeah. Walks a line, for sure. Um, but, you know, it's it's impossible for me to not think fondly on this episode for all of the things that it does great, because there are many. It frustrates me because clearly the creators of the show are able to do a long-form story, and yet yeah. time after time they trip over their feet and fall down the stairs uh, when given a task to write a film. I think right. this... This double episode represents uh, one of the top two films that this show has ever made. I would put it up there, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, uh, Ben, much like Picard moving through time, receiving messages from the past and the future, have we, in fact, received messages from the past in the form of P1s? We have, Adam. What do you say we read them? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Raven Ryuta. It is for my husband, Mark Ryuta, and the message goes like this. To Mark, with a C, from your wife, Raven, happy anniversary picturing us together watching The Next Generation every night for another 10 years. (laughs) You were the heart of my day and the soul of my night. I would boldly go anywhere with you. And I love you so much, Imzadi. 10 years. How many watches of TNG the series can you get done in 10 years? Man, sort of depends on how you're watching it. Well, if you're watching two a week like we are, get up to... uh, up to you got five five watch throughs under your belt. Yeah, that's a good way to spend ten years. I hope you keep downloading our podcast every single time. <laughs> yeah, much like finding new things in the show, maybe you'll find new things in the pod. <laughs> Adam, our second P one is from Dylan R, and it's for the finest viewers in Podfleet. A.K.A. the GG Tour 2017 Milwaukee folks. Oh, yeah. Cliffhanger ahead. My boyfriend and I broke up exactly three months before the show. The three weeks leading up to the show were hell at work, and a potential employer passed on my application the day before the show. Mm. Suffice, to, suffice it to say, I felt damned low the day of the premature assimilation tour in Milwaukee. Mr. Wharf. Fire. To be continued. <laughs> and I, uh, I believe that there will be a part two to this P one in a in an upcoming episode of the Greatest Generation. Oh, really? Yeah. What a fun way to do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, if you have a message to send anyone, you'll we'll have you know that uh, priority ones are not going away. They're coming with us. Henceforth into future podcast series. Yeah, and they're also available on The Greatest Discovery, our sister show. Uh, you can 
Put one of those in the queue by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. And they are a great way to ensure the ongoing production of the show and the enslavement of a toast. <laughs> hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Boy, I did, Adam. That fucking bent iPad. <laughs> Prop Shimoda. Prop Shimoda. How, how about you, Adam? Did you find a drunk Shimoda? This might be something you, that you want to scrub to. I don't have the time code on this, but this is a classic deep background Shimoda for me. Mm-hmm. So in the future timeline, Picard is bursted in in his pajamas and he's like trying to articulate the paradox. Oh, uh, so this is in 10 forward. Yeah. So in 10 forward, <laughs> a pajamaed Picard bursts in and walks up to the table where the senior staff is assembled and he's trying to explain the paradox. But what's happening in the at the table behind them is an officer is clearly on a date. And when Data <laughs> gets up, having finally grasped the, the core of the paradox, the guy in the back clearly does an eye roll and gestures to his date like, let's get the fuck out of here. This is... <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> like, because in whatever time period you're in, you always hate the overly loud table at a restaurant. And that moment to me was like... So pure and good. This fucking guy. Who let that old in here? I know. This guy does great background work. I loved seeing him walk out. And then later when the camera angle changes, like you can see them walk out of 10 forward. I just love that. Amazing. Oh, that's so good. The guy who wants the table to shut up is my Shimoda. I love it. That's me. (laughs) That's me in every restaurant. I know. Why can't you just be quiet? I can't relax and enjoy myself under any circumstances (laughs) in any restaurant. (laughs) Oh man, you and me both, Ben. Darmok, Angelad, and One of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode of The Greatest Generation? Well, so the next episode is going to be just us uh, going back through the series and talking about our mountains and uh, favorite moments in the show and and all that good stuff. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it'll it'll be like a lot of people have requested this, and we like haven't quite hammered out our plan for it as of this recording. But uh, what we've got what we've got planned so far, I'm really excited about. Yeah, you me both. It'll be good. And then after that, we're going to the one-a-week schedule. So that episode will come out uh, for those who are listening in real time. That next episode will come out on October 9th, uh, the Monday following uh, this episode. And then the next episode will be October 16th, which will be the first episode of Deep Space Nine. Well, Ben, I'm really looking forward to that retrospective. I think it'll be good for us to sort of talk out our feelings on this crazy, fun, <laughs> uh, unbelievable project in a number of ways. I think um, at this point in the show, it might be good to just tell you how grateful I am to have done a project like this with you. I think 
you know, this began as a unlikely friendship between two people who live on opposite coasts yeah. and turned into a long-term hilarious project. But more than anything, like, uh, it got me one of my best friends and it gave us, uh, something to talk about twice a week. It gave us a fun tour to do in which we saw the country together. Yeah. Uh, it, it gave us so much in an unlikely way. And I just want to thank you and I want to thank everyone who has listened to the show and and supported the show and has and have written in to tell us how much it means to them and in their lives because as much as it means to anyone else uh it means it means double for me and I think uh I think you're a big reason for that Ben so I just want to thank you for that. Hey man, right back at you. I mean, I uh every time we see each other it just it just charges me up, you know. I I uh I think you're so funny and uh and quick and I I just get just big belly laughs from you every time we hang out and the fact that we've gotten to kind of share that dynamic in a way that people have responded to has been one of the most gratifying experiences I've ever had and uh I think uh you, you know we have so many people to thank for helping make that happen you know we a lot of this was luck and good timing but a lot of it was other people like really uh really helping us you know the folks who wrote articles about us the folks at maximumfun.org who took a chance on our ridiculous little show uh and uh and yeah i uh i feel a thousand percent the same way man i i feel super lucky to have gotten to do this with you and I'm really looking forward to the future. Yeah, you and me both. Like we're not going anywhere. That's for sure. the The idea of of making professional fun, I think, was the biggest the biggest epiphany was that like we could make our fun into a thing that we could do all the time. Yeah. And uh, for a variety of reasons, we're now able to do that, and that is something that I I'm excited to continue into the future. So uh, thanks to everybody, and uh, can't wait uh, for the next chapter, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we should thank Adam Ragusia and Dark Materia for the music you hear on our show. We should thank all the people that have participated in the online communities for this show, like uh, especially uh, the folks who created and moderate our Facebook and Reddit groups. Um, Thank you, Austin and Mike, so much. Um, thank you for yeah. all the people that moderate uh, as just volunteers. I mean, like the the community around this show is a, is uh, an amazing thing that we feel incredibly lucky to have, and that is just a gift that keeps on giving. Um, and uh, oh, and I, I want to also say thanks to the guys at the Geek Life Crisis podcast who put out an episode where they interviewed a bunch of people from the uh, amazing community of Friends of DeSoto and uh, and uh, put together a little tribute episode to this podcast. It was one of the most touching uh, and, and hilarious things I've ever heard. That was an out-of-body experience for me to hear that. It was so beautiful to hear the voices from our viewers like talk directly to us about how much the show means 
so much of this project has been unbelievable to but to to be forced to believe it in that form yeah. uh, was something I will always be grateful for so thank you to those guys yeah. at the Geek Life Crisis and uh, I think that just about does it uh, so with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode or I guess we won't be back at you next time with another <laughs> great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation but we will be back with The Greatest Generation and uh, that is a, a wonderful thing. Greatest generation forever, pal. Yeah. Cheers to you. Cheers. You kill that bottle? Going out of the bottle now. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Love you, too. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.